You'll remember last month, well, some of you will remember anyway, we started out by talking about what it was like to live almost in Stone Age conditions, what the, what the human condition was like maybe, say, 500,000 years ago, and, and in general, the progress we've made. Well, no surprise, we've made progress in 500,000 years, I guess. Uh, what I didn't mention last time was how violent we were as a species at the dawn of time, back in, in tribal society and when... Uh, uh, really, we, well, not even just when we were in the nomadic kind of society, but even in the agrarian stage of human development, one in four people would meet a violent death. One in four, and then you might ask, well, now, Larry, how do you know this? You're just making this up like ministers do now and then. But no, people, <laughs> but people have actually studied fossil records, and they have pretty easily determined that the kinds of injuries that led people to their death via the fossil records, one in four people died a violent death. And, and it's suspected that one in seven people uh, the violence was as a result of someone, you know, another human, not a saber-toothed tiger chewing them up, but, uh, but actually at the hands of another human. And so when we talk about the opening or the awakening of the human heart, I think we have done probably nothing short of a miracle. And even if you, even if you fast forward, in fact, I, for those of you who are interested, uh, the, the go-to guy on this whole information is Dr. Steven Pinker, so if you want to look up some research on the decreasing violence in the world, the, the, the re, uh, renaissance of the open heart and compassion and caring for another, uh, uh, look him up, Google Steven Pinker, and, and you'll see all of the facts and figures behind it. But I wanted to share just a, a few of them, because let's move forward to when we actually started collecting actual records. So, so records on murders and things like that, uh, not surprising, first started being kept track of in church records in the, in the 15th uh, century, the 14th century uh, in England and, and in Europe. And guess what the homicide rate was in British towns in the 14th century? This is the 1300s. It's over a hundred times higher than what it is in Great Britain right now. A hundred times as many people per capita were killed at the hands of their loved ones and townspeople. That's staggering. I mean, don't you have an idea that living in quaint old England a few centuries ago was kind of bucolic and, you know, we're tending the sheep and, and raising our, oh my gosh, the violence then. And it's true, even if you fast forward a little bit further to the first colonies here in the United States. Now, now uh, our relationship with the Native Americans aside, right, because we do have to figure that in as well, but our relationship just to each other as colonists, uh, of course, good church records were kept, over 50 times the rate of murders per capita existed in colonial times as exists today. So again, for those of you that think that the pilgrims, you know, Native American assassination aside, if you think that the pilgrims were all about love and peace and planting crops and moving forward, big surprise. We are 50 times as peaceful towards one another now as we were then. And you know what I think is interesting is it's a pretty straight line graph. 
leading up till today. And I mentioned this, I think, last time, that, that the world has never been as peaceful as it is right now. And even if you include what you might think of, I mean, like, well, Larry, you might say, let's not forget the Holocaust. Let's not forget World War II. Let's not forget some of the great uh, conflicts and troubles in this world. Nonetheless, it's a pretty straight-line graphic evidence of the per capita violence and deaths that show we are at the most peaceful time on the planet. And we talked last week about why that's not our perception, right? Because the, the news media in particular is there to keep reminding us so-and-so was shot over here and, you know, 10 people were killed over there. And that's in the news constantly. And so there is that sense of danger even though it's remote, even though really the chances of us being killed or violence being done to us is on that remotest edge, much, much more likely that I'll get in some kind of a car accident on the way home than anyone would harm me. Now, the uh, rates for violence, uh, and here we have to own up to something, the rates for violence in America is surprisingly high given first world powers. So, so in England, the rate of homicides and violence against people, uh, about a tenth of what it is in America. And the same is true for most of Europe. Now, I mean, not all, but if you look at the European Union at a whole, uh, pretty much the idea of peace and nonviolence exists to much greater degree than it does here in America. And so one of the things I want to finish up with today are some things that we can actually do about that. Because I'm... I'm a little tired of sitting back and seeing some of the violence being done right here and what I think of as a, as a peaceful land and, and a peaceful time. So, so part of the idea tonight of, of opening the heart of the world, of awakening our hearts, is I think we can do something about it. And so we're going to get there. I think it's time, though, for my outrageous joke, um, actually. So here we go, because we're basically talking about love tonight. So here's a joke about love. A woman accompanied her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor wanted to privately talk to the wife. He said, you know, your husband is suffering from a very serious disease, and it's combined with horrible stress. You must show your husband your love by doing the following, or your husband surely within a short time will die. Each morning, fix him a healthy breakfast. Please be pleasant and make sure he's in a good mood. For lunch, make him a nutritious meal that he can take to work. And as for dinner, prepare something especially nice that's low-fat and healthy. Don't burden him with chores. This could further increase his stress. Don't discuss your problems with him. It will only make his stress worse. Now, try to relax your husband with, uh, uh, with good company and sweet talk. Encourage him to watch some, time, some type of maybe team sporting events on television so that, so that he can relax. And, and most importantly, several times a week, just go out of your way to make him feel at home and relaxed and loved. And if you can show your love in these ways for the next 10 months to a year, I think your husband will have a complete recovery. Well, on the way home, the husband asked his wife, Honey, what did the doctor say when he took you out separately? What did the doctor say? And she said, 
I'm sorry, he says you're going to die. <laughs> well, I said it was a stinker, so there you go. So, so the reason I mention that, or the reason that that particular joke called to me tonight is, I think that's one of the barriers that we have around showing love to people. I think we're used to thinking that love has to look in a certain way and be kind of big and outrageous for it to count. And I'm here to tell you the smallest measures of love are perhaps the most desired and the most useful. And I want to start off by actually talking about how we can love up strangers. Are, are you familiar with the idea of really trying to show love to strangers? Now, the mistake would be kind of going overboard, right? That someone that you don't even know and, and acting like they're a friend because that's going to come across as a little bit fakey. And plus, I mean, not everybody that you approach, sadly, you'd want to be a friend, right? I mean, there, there are people that are not quite ready for friendship, and so we, we want to respect that as well. So what I'm talking about love is getting along. What I'm talking about in terms of love is courtesy and kindness. And I think the United States right now needs about a thousand percent more of that. I think that because we're in a in kind of a high-speed world, I think that because we're we're going 10,000 miles an hour in our jobs and in our relationships and getting kids to soccer camp and and you know earning extra money by putting in extra shifts so we can go on a fast-paced vacation to Maui and all of that, I think we have got down our daily dealings with people to where we try to spend the least amount of time we can. We hit the Safeway store and we want, we've got our list and we want to be in and out. Or we've avoided talking to people altogether and we're ordering things on Amazon.com and doing our banking online. And of course, there's nothing wrong with simplifying our lives. There's nothing wrong with, the, with bringing about things that are faster and easier through internets and phone exchanges and the whole nine yards. But what I want to stress is when we are face to face, let us bring love into the equation. And so I want to use an example. Uh, some of you know I worked for the telephone company for years and years. Uh, no, I mean really, years and years. And although it started out as kind of a lovely job, towards the end of it, uh, I got to tell you, they had me on airplanes all the time. And uh, literally, I would fly out every Sunday night. Um, I'd be in Omaha, Nebraska, or I would be in, I don't know, Minneapolis. And I'd work all week, and then they'd fly me back on, uh, on uh, Friday evening. And it got so that I would just be worn down, pretty much. And one of the things that I was trying to do to speed up my life was even just coming home at night, right? I'd be in bailing my car out of long-term parking, and I finally figured out that if I did that one lane, it would go faster. And pretty soon I found out why that one lane went faster. It's because the woman behind the cash register in that one lane was just a mean lady. She hurried things along. I don't know whether they had, you know, some kind of measurements where you got to do, you know, a hundred cars in one minute or something like that. But she was like, "Where's your credit card?" 
<laughs> Don't you have exact change? Like she was training us. We're going to get through this as fast as we could. And after a few weeks of that, I thought, this is actually adding to my stress level. Either I need to go back to the slow lane or, or maybe I can work on this. And so for a few weeks, I tried, you know, the big smile. How are you? And she would usually just look down and, and, and still the, don't you have exact change? So finally one day, I'm getting a little desperate because uh, I do like the fast lane and I'm thinking maybe I can crack through this shell somehow. And so I began noticing that she was wearing a little bit unusual jewelry. And I got this idea that either she paid a lot of attention to that or maybe she even made it herself. And so one, uh, uh, one Friday night, as I pulled up, I kind of leaned over a bit, and, and she was wearing something really striking. It was blue, like lapis lazuli or something like that. And I leaned over and I said, that necklace is really striking. It looks homemade. Is it something that you made? And do you know what happened? The most amazing thing. <laughs> you could tell she was not used to it. Just the, just the very corners, right? It's like the middle part didn't move, but just the corners were trying to move just a little bit. And then she said, where's your credit card? <laughs> but you know what? I knew that I had made the inroad. I knew that there was a chance here. And so the next week, I can't remember what I said, but I was smiling and I, you know, once again, I either complimented her or said something and oh my God, she actually smiled. And that was like a breakthrough. From then on, I enjoyed coming home and bailing my card out every week. We had like a one-minute friendship. Here a, here a perfect stranger, right? And we're having like a minute once a week. And yet, she started looking forward to me being in her line. And I got to tell you, even if her line was the longest, I was in that line because we were one-minute friends. Now, you might, some of you might be saying, well, that's a kind of a shallow, sad thing, Larry. <laughs> don't, you, don't you have friends that are better than that? <laughs> and of course I do. The point is, could we not treat everyone like that? And if we did, if all of the people that come into contact with you for just a minute or two took the time to be your one-minute friend, would not this planet just sail by with great love and great joy? Whether it's a Safeway store and you, you, you talk to the, the checker there, whether it's the, the folks at the medical office that are taking your labs, whether it's the, the people coming to... So I stayed up uh, uh, really late. I can't get up early. I'll just admit that. So one time I stayed up late enough to talk to the garbage collection people that came by. <laughs> and oh my gosh, they're real people. Who knew that? And we talked for a while. And the ones that come to my house have, have kids that are in high school. And we talked about what, a, what an amazing deal the whole high school scene is now. And how do, do, you see, do you see how we can make such an amazing difference in the world, even with people that we don't know. I think that's the next step 
in the evolution of this planet. We've gone from the, the tribal atmosphere where it's competition and we may need to kill each other in order to survive. We've, we've gone from that to polite indifference and I think it's time to go to the next step. I think it is time in all of our situations as best we can to show the courtesy, to show the interest, to show the simple compassion for the people that we encounter. All right. Now, I also, though, want to update and increase the love for the people that you already love. Because I also think there's the tendency over time that we sort of take each other for granted a little bit, even the people that we care about the most. And the other thing that I have noticed that we do is that we tend to think that one size fits all. We tend to think that uh, everyone would like a, a, you know, a Valentine's Day card, that everyone would like chocolate. Well, I think everyone does like chocolate <laughs> uh, chip cookies, but, but, but do you know what I mean? We tend to genericize what we will do for the people around us. Did you know that some people don't actually like to come forward and be recognized for something? Did you know that some people really don't want to have a box of chocolates? It doesn't fit into their lifestyle. They don't even like chocolate. Did you know that some people would really prefer not to be touched as, as lovey and sweet as we are right in this room? Statistics would tell me that there are five or six of you that would rather do anything than have me hug you after this service. Now, thank heavens the rest of you exist too, because I happen to be a hugger. But we need to actually find out from the people that we love how we should show love to them. I, I was So I was reading a book called The Five Languages of Love not too long ago. And after reading it, I went up to my partner, Daniel, and started quizzing him. And he's like, really? <laughs> you know, we've been together long enough, you know. But come to find out, I was a little bit wrong. He really hates to be appreciated verbally in front of other people. I did not know that. I would compliment him in front of other people. He actually hates that. He actually hates that. And here I thought that was a good thing. Go the extra step for the people that you care about. You may be surprised. And it may be as simple as just like, well, I'll make up my list if you make up your list. And then, you know, how do you like to be loved? Is it with a hug? Is it with a, a nice surprise now and then? Is it, is it verbal appreciation? Uh, is it being taken out to dinner now and then? Is it uh, long-stemmed roses? Because you will be surprised. Your list may be very different than a good friend. Your list may be very different than your spouse or your children. So give that one a try. My theory is when we give people what they want as opposed to like what I want... <laughs> <laughs> it shows that we actually are paying attention and care. And isn't that what love is? It's paying attention and caring. So I'm going to close tonight with a couple pieces of homework that I would like you to try on. Actually, one of them we already did. What did you think of the little meditation uh, prayer that we did? That was kind of fun, wasn't it? I'm going to repeat it again for your benefit. And I would suggest that this is something that you could do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you retire. Find someone in your life that you really care about that you want to add to. Find someone in your life 
that maybe you have a little bit of trouble with, maybe a little bit of strife is going on and you want to work on repairing that, or find yourself, find your own life and, and send it love. It's divine love is doing its perfect work in you and through you now. Or if it's about yourself, you could say divine love is doing its perfect work in me and as me now. It's a lovely spiritual practice. I would bet if we did that for, say, a month till I saw you next time, we would have some grand testimonials around that about really how it has changed your outlook in life. But if that doesn't call to you, there was another thing that we did, a little bit at least, in the, uh, uh, in the meditation that I would like to point out. Did you know that 40% of young women have bad self-esteem? So, so uh, 20 and younger young women, 40% of them do not think they're lovable, do not think that they're capable, do not have a sense of worth whatsoever. Now, it's slightly better for boys in that same age, but only slightly. It's about 57% of boys in that same age group feel like they're worthwhile, feel like they um, should be loved, feel like what they do and how they show up in the world is worth it. I think we're, we're a society of people that really don't love ourselves, or a good, a good portion of us anyway. If you might happen to fall into that category, because I'm guessing just based on the t statistics, we're, we're talking about roughly half of the room might fall into that category, where if you look in the mirror in the morning and try to say, I love you, Larry, uh, well, you would say your, your, na your name. I mean, you knew that. But you would balk at it, or you would say, that is the most uncomfortable thing anyone has ever suggested to me, and I'll do the other, the other homework assignment instead. <laughs> so you're the ones I'm targeting. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> if that would make you really uncomfortable to do that, to get up in the morning before you've you know, made yourself look as gorgeous as you are tonight, and you looked in the mirror and said, I love you. You are fabulous. I love those wrinkles. I love that gray hair. So, so that's the alternative assignment. And for those of you who would be uncomfortable doing that, that's the recommended assignment to do that every morning until I'm here next time. And again, let's compare some demonstrations next time I'm here. Because I think between those two exercises, we can awaken the heart of the world. We absolutely, one by one, in our interactions with other people and our own ability to succeed more and be more in the world when our own self-esteem rises up, between those two things, oh my gosh, the centered heart of the universe could be opening up right here in Lake Oswego. This could be the center of it all. I'm going to close tonight with a, a brief quote from Ernest Holmes. Uh, this is from The Spiritual Universe and You, Ernest Holmes, the, the founder of The Science of Mind. He says, Love is more than a sentiment. It is a need. It is a hunger. It is a thirst, which is perfectly natural. Anyone who thinks he can live and be happy without love doesn't really know what they're talking about. Psychologically, emotionally, physiologically, or spiritually, Love is the beginning and the end. 
It is the Alpha and the Omega. It is the one sentiment in nature that will not and cannot be denied. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one one life. And, and what I like to think of, it's the greatest container of love at all. In my own head, in my own sensibility, I think God created this all to love itself more, to be able to experience that connection between peoples, to, to have a sense of what it is to, to truly care and have compassion for one another. This is God doing God's work on this human plane. It is through love. And because God is present everywhere, I know love is present everywhere, and I know that means me. I know that my life is my life is part of God's love. My actions reflect God's love. My joys and my desires, my my fruition in life is part of God's love. And as it is true for me, I know without question that it's true for each person in this room. Really, each person on the planet, we are born in love. We're here to be love. And so I perhaps uh, just note a greater willingness on the part of each one here to make a few more one-minute friends, to be able to, to share our own lives and our own love with, with even strangers, the people and passers-by that we meet from day to day, to extend a hand in friendship, to to make little noticements of, of one another and our sweet joys and our, our beautiful lives. Beyond that, I know each person here so very capable of making a true difference through love in the lives of the people close to them, friends and families whose hearts can be open to such success and, and such wonderment through the power of being loved. And so I'm simply grateful for this, grateful always to be here in the power and presence of love on these Wednesday nights. Grateful, grateful for love. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I love you all. Thank you.